Well, hey, Crossroads, I want to shout out to Hayward and Fremont today. It's so good to see you. And uh, man, that's a fun, peppy, happy song full of horrible advice. You know, if you're going to follow that advice, you're not ready to get married, let me tell you. And tonight, uh, I get the privilege to talk to you about when to get married. And we're wrapping up a three-part series about dating and marriage called Swipe Right. And swiping right comes from the online dating site called Tinder. And you look at people's pictures, you read little biographies, and if that's enough to get you interested, you swipe right. And if they swipe right on your picture and your biography, then you get to chat with each other and find out if you're going to go on a date. You know, it's hard for people to meet people today. Can you believe that's, that's one of the hoops people go through to find someone to connect with, to date, to possibly marry? Well, we've had a couple of great messages from Melissa and Mike. If you missed those, I hope you'll check those out. And I want to let you know right now, maybe you're here tonight and you're already married or you're not interested in being married. Now, I hope you don't fall in both those categories, all right? That's, that's, that's going to be trouble. We have some counseling after a service. But maybe you're already married or you're not interested in being married. Don't check out because I promise you there's some principles here that will apply to your life wherever you're at right now. God will speak to you if you have an expectant heart, you're looking to hear from Him, from His Word, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And I want to encourage each one of you to take your outline out and follow along and take some notes. Those of you who are parents, there's going to be some things here you can use to help your kids. Those of you who have friends who are thinking about getting married, there's some things here you're going to be able to use to help them. But there's also going to be some things that you can use in your own life. Right up front, I want to tell you, God cares deeply about each one of you. He loves you. Jesus went to the cross for you, and God cares about your relationships. Most of all, he cares about your relationship with him. He wants to have that relationship with you, and he, he's reaching out to you right now. He's trying to draw you into a relationship with him. And God also cares about our relationships with each other, with our friends, with our church family, with our neighbors, our coworkers. And God especially cares about our relationship with a spouse. God cares about your relationship, and his word is all about relationships, and he wants to protect you and guide you and help to set you up for success in your relationships in life. The decision to receive Christ into your life, into your heart, that's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Whether you choose to respond to God's love and say, God, forgive me for my sins, come into my life, lead me and guide me. Man, that's the biggest decision you'll ever make. The second biggest decision you're going to make in your life is, are you going to get married, and who are you going to marry? Because that'll change your life. Can I get an amen from a married person? <laughs> you guys awake? That'll change your life. And that's the second most decision that you're going to make. Are you going to invite Jesus into your life and commit to follow him, and then are you going to marry someone? And so in any big deal and any big decision in life, I think it's natural. We all want to know, what is God's will for my life? How do I figure out what God wants me to do? And I'm just going to give you a one-minute crash course in knowing God's will. Just real quick, right there on your outline, four quick things. How do you know God's will? The Holy Spirit will speak to us, especially if we have a heart to obey Him, whatever He tells us to do or leads us to do. If you have that kind of heart, God will speak to you in the right time. And He speaks to us in four ways. He'll speak to us through, through Scripture, through the Bible. God gives us principles to apply in any situation in life. God will speak to us as we talk to him, as we pray. He'll lead you, guide you, give you a sense of direction or nudging your spirit. Godly counsel. God has put you in a church family. There's, there's other people around you who are trying to follow God. And God will often speak to us through other people who are following God, who can look into our life and speak truth. 
And then circumstances also have a lot to play in figuring out God's will for your life. So in any big decision that you're facing, and this is a big one, when to get married. And when it comes to marriage, God has some clear guidelines. So how do we go about finding this person? Who are we supposed to marry? How do we find that person? And I want to say, you know, in our culture, our, our parents don't arrange for us to, to, to who we're going to marry. We, we go through this process called dating. And I just want to say a few things about dating very quickly. First, I want you to write this down. I challenge you to date intentionally, not recreationally. You know, I wish someone had talked to me about this stuff when I was a young man, because nobody ever really, really taught me this. I'm so thankful for our student ministry here. They teach our kids about these things, and we're giving you the tools for yourself and for you to share with your children as they grow up. But the purpose of dating is not to keep you from being lonely or to find something to do on Friday night or to get with that person you're feeling that chemistry with. The purpose of dating is to find a godly spouse to share life with. Now, when you're younger, when you're in high school, I think the ideal way to go about that is to, to group date, to be in some groups of guys and girls, be around some people, find out what, how do you relate to the opposite sex, and how do you, how do you, you know, what kind of person appeals to you, finding those things out. But then as you get older, you're starting to narrow it down. How do you find that out about someone? We ask them out for a date, we go out for dinner or to a movie or take a walk, whatever it might be. And as you go through this process... You're looking for the evidence. Is there enough evidence in this situation for me to come to this conclusion that I could marry you? And if I, as soon as I know that I couldn't marry you, if I'm, not, if I'm dating intentionally, then I need to break it off. I shouldn't have any more dates. If I know that you're not the person, then I need to move on. I shouldn't waste your time. I shouldn't waste my time. I'm, I'm dating intentionally. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit off and on through this talk about timing. Uh, one of the things I thought my wife had some really wise advice, she, she said one thing that she learned was she had always heard that you need to go through the seasons together. You need to go through a year and see, see a person through different seasons of the year. Now, Jefferson Bethke, I don't, I don't know who this guy is, he's called the soul doctor, but I like this thing he said. He said, dating with no intent to marry is like going to the grocery store with no money. You either leave unhappy or you take something that isn't yours. You know, think about that. What is your purpose in dating? If you're not really, if, if, you're, if you're just dating for fun, it's going to be a recipe for trouble. And when you're dating, there's four common myths that kind of often trip us up. This isn't on your outline, this is just extra. Some things we've talked about in this series, some things we've talked about in the past. Uh, one of the things that are really, I've seen mess people up is this idea that Mike talked about, that there's only one right person for me. And I've seen people get paralyzed because they're not sure if this is the one. And I want to tell you, there's nothing in, in the Bible that, where it says there's one person for each one of us. In fact, we'll address that a little bit more further on. Uh, also, there's this idea, when I find the one, I'm going to be fulfilled. If you're not fulfilled without God, you're not going to be fulfilled by another person. And in a message a couple years ago, I, I don't remember which one of us shared it, but I thought it was great. We said, Jesus is the one, and your spouse is the two. And you got to get that right. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then this idea that if we love each other, we're dating. Well, if we love each other, it doesn't matter. Sexually, anything goes. And I just want to remind you, we've talked many times about God's design for sex. He designed it. It's a good thing, and it's between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. We've talked about that and the dangers of crossing that line. And then the fourth thing that will kind of trip you up is love is enough reason to marry. You know, if we love someone, that's, that'll get us through. That we, we can make it work. And uh, believe me, that love is not enough to make marriage work, okay? 
And so here's, here's this idea that we have in our culture, that if we have love and attraction and the chemistry, that, that, we can, that we're going to find somebody that meets all those criteria, and we get married, and everything's going to be great. That's how we, you know, our culture kind of celebrates relationships in movies like you know, Sleepless in Seattle or something like that. It's kind of like this man, he went, he went out to eat in a fancy restaurant, he was eating on his own, he was just enjoying his dinner, but he noticed there was this beautiful lady sitting near him, beautiful red-headed lady, and he was just kind of kept glancing over at her, trying to, hoping maybe he'd get her attention, and all of a sudden she sneezed really violently, she had one of those big sneezes, and she had a glass eye and it popped right out. And just instinctively, he reflectively reached out, he caught that eye, a little embarrassed, but you know, kind of attentively... And she was so thankful that this guy had done that for her and he didn't freak out. She said, why don't you join me for dinner? I'm going to buy your dinner. And they start talking and having dinner and they hit it off. Next thing you know, they're going out to see a movie. They're having a great time, so they decide to go out for drinks. You know those little boba tea drinks? They went to get some drinks. And then she said, oh, man, we're having such a great time. Why don't we go take a walk on the beach in the middle of the night? They go walking on the beach, sharing their heart sharing all their dreams. They're just connecting, man. There's just so much chemistry and sparks there. She said, why don't you come back to my house and I'll cook you some breakfast? She makes him this most amazing breakfast with, of course, lots and lots of bacon, right? She makes him this breakfast. And the guy's just like, he just can't believe how lucky he is. He's, he believes he's found the one. He says, I, I'm just, this has just blown me away. It's one of the greatest days of my life. He said, are, this, are you this nice to everyone that you meet? And she said, no, you just happened to catch my eye. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's how we think it works, right? You know, you just find someone that you know, you're attracted to and you get along and that's all it's going to take. And there you go, you're going to get married. And I want to tell you, you need more than catching somebody's eye. You need more than that chemistry, more than that spark. You need some really important things that God has spelled out for us. And I I think there's five very important things that you need to focus on. You need to make sure when you're trying to decide who to marry and when to marry that they meet these five criteria. And if if you don't, if if you cut the corners in any one of these areas, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. And uh, the good news for you is I've kind of jotted these five things down for you. So take some notes there, okay? The first thing, according to God's word, if you're a follower of Christ, the number one thing, the number one criteria is do, does that person have a commitment to Christ? Are they committed to Christ? Paul said this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, he uses that imagery of a yoke. They would often put a yoke on two, ox who would, two, two oxen could pull a lot better and plow a lot longer if they were paired up well out in the field. And you put two oxen in a yoke. You don't want two ox that are pulling different ways. But when you marry someone who's not a believer, if you're a believer, you have very different worldviews. And it doesn't matter how attracted you are to each other, how much you love each other, you're going to be pulling in different directions in some key areas of life. Now, some people get really offended by this verse. And God didn't tell us this because he doesn't like people who aren't believers. No, God loves all of us. He's trying to draw all of us into a relationship with him. God is, is telling us this to protect us so that we're not having these unnecessary friction and fights as we're pulling different ways. And you know what I found? Not only does, I mean, I grew up in the church, been, been in, working in a church all my life, it seems like, you know, 
You could pull different ways. It often pulls followers of Christ away from really being as close to God as they would like to be. But you know what? The person at home who's not a follower of Christ, who doesn't want to go to church, they're not happy either. They're upset because there you go running off to the church again and giving them your money and giving them your time. And you're on different paths. And God is trying to protect you. When worldviews collide, you can write this down. Conflicts arise. Conflicts arise. Man, I've seen people, everything's great with their different worldviews until the children come along. And then are we going to raise our kids to love God or are we going to raise them in another way? Man, that can become a big source of conflict. Oh, you want to give, how, you want to give 10% of your income to God? Well, that can become a conflict in your finances. It can become a conflict in the priorities and the use of your time in your lifestyles and morals and in your social activities. Now, this is also a good principle. If you're thinking about, if you're, if you're a business owner, you have your own business, you're going to sign contracts and really unite yourself with somebody in business. This, is another, this principle applies there as well, I believe. But you want to you find someone who's committed to Christ if you're a follower of Christ. Don't compromise on that. Don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, we just get married, I'll, I'll bring them in, a church. I'll get them changed, because it usually doesn't happen. It usually doesn't work. Now, uh, someone... It was a little statement I came across, a dating philosophy. They said, run as fast as you can towards God, and if someone keeps up, introduce yourself. And I like that. I like that, that imagery because, you know, one of the things I've learned over time is that if you'll get plugged into your church family, you get plugged in and connected, you start serving, you get into a life group, you go out and you meet uh, your Christian friends in church, you meet their friends out who may be from other churches, you get plugged in and connected, and you're focused on pleasing God and living for Him and growing your life, so often He'll bring someone into your life who loves Him too, because that's the path you're on. He'll bring somebody into your life who's on that same path. Now, Paul said this, a woman, he taught, I can't go into all the details of this passage, but he said, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. What he was saying is, if you're a follower of Christ and you're married to somebody who's not a believer, hey, you're still committed. That's not an out. This is when Christianity was new. It was just coming into the world, that, that belief system of following Christ, having that relationship with him. But Paul said if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. You can underline that. She's free to marry. There's not one person. She's free to marry anyone. But God had one condition. He said he must belong to the Lord. That's God's plan and purpose for you. So if you're a follower of Christ and you're trying to figure out when should I marry and who should I marry, then that should be your number one priority. Are they committed to Christ? Healthy relationships with others flow from a healthy relationship with God. Healthy, so you, you focus on your walk with God and grow in your heart and grow in your love for God. That will help you to be more loving to others. Second thing, second critical deal breaker is the person's character. Write that, write that down, their character. Your character is essentially the sum of your habits. It's, it's who you are. It's what you do. It's who you really are. And character is what makes trust possible. And trust is the, a healthy count, uh, character, builds trust. And trust is a foundation of relationships. And then character, character is not just in the big things. It's in the little things. Do you keep your word? Are you honest? You know, without trust, you have nothing. Poor character is a relationship killer. Good character is the glue that helps hold people together. You know, if I can't trust somebody and they don't keep their word and they lie to me and they never own it, 
man, next time they tell me something, I, it's hard for me to believe them. It's hard for me to trust them. How can I be married to someone that I couldn't trust? It's so hard. If, and if you're, if you're dating someone and they have a questionable character, that should be a red flag. You need to step back and really look at it. Just some things to think about when it comes to character. Does a person do what they say they're going to do? You know, do they keep their promises? Do they put off the priorities until the last minute, or do they focus and get things done? Do they hide their flaws, or do they honestly admit they have some, some issues and that they're in process? How do they treat other people? Especially, how do they treat people they don't need? Like people that they're not getting something from. How do they treat the little people? How do they treat their parents? How do they treat their brothers and sisters? How do they treat other close friends in their life? Mike told us to work on being the one. What he's talking about is working on your own character, allowing God to work in, in you. And if, if you're committed to Christ and you're growing to be more like him, you're going to have healthier relationships. And you want to find somebody who has that same commitment. You know, the Bible tells us a lot of things on this issue of character. And ladies, you can substitute husband and him in this passage. In Proverbs, it says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Can you circle that word virtuous? That's somebody with character. Man, what a great thing to find someone who's virtuous and capable. Do you see evidence that Christ is, they say that they love God, they go to church every week, but do you see evidence during the week that Jesus is really working in their life, that the Holy Spirit is alive in them? Now, I'm not saying that they're perfect, but you see that they're growing. And, and man, God gives us a great list to look at. The Holy Spirit, if somebody's walking with God and trying to obey him, the Holy Spirit's going to produce some things in their life. Do you see they're growing in their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Man, if they're not growing in those things, man, that's a kind of a rep. Do they really have this relationship? Those are character things. And man, don't you want your spouse to be patient and kind and good and faithful and to have some self-control, especially when you screw up? Don't you want them to have those things, right? Man, you want to look for those things. The Bible says, you know, be careful about someone who has a hot temper. Don't, not just don't marry them, don't be close friends with them. Don't be good friends with them. Proverbs says this, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Tends to happen more to ladies than men. So I'm just going to say, ladies, if a guy ever hits you or grabs you or throws you around before you're married, I guarantee you he's going to do it after you get married. You, that's a deal breaker. That's not a character you want to be joining your life with, okay? But so many women think, oh, I can change you. Marriage is going to change me. Don't buy into that, okay? How do they handle it when they get hurt, when you've offended them? How do they handle it when, when they're mad at you and you've, you've, you've somehow done them wrong? Are they willing to forgive? Do they pout? Do they go into revenge mode, you know, when you acknowledge you've messed up? How do they handle that? Paul tells us, bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I can promise you, if you get married, you're going to have to do a lot of forgiving. So you want to, that's something you want to be looking for in their character ahead of time, right? And Pastor Paul told me I had to include this one. Do they have a job? <laughs> do they have a job? <laughs> All right? 
Do they have a plan or are they lazy? Are they addicted to their video games or sports or TV or social media? Paul said this, we gave you this rule, rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. There's another passage that said, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So God cares about the character. He's trying to protect you. He's giving you some guidelines, some things to look out for. Kind of a subset under this character issue, I would say, are they a contented person? Do they have contentment as a single? Now, that doesn't mean they don't want to get married. That's, that's a natural desire for most of us, not all of us. But God gave us this desire, this, this desire to be connected with someone in that way, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. That, that's a normal thing. But, but can the person be content as a single person? Or do they think they have to be married to be complete and to be fulfilled? See, part of having good character and maturity is you learn to be content with yourself and who you are. You're not so desperate and needy that you'll marry the first person that comes along that makes you feel good about yourself. And you don't want to marry someone like that. You don't want to marry someone who's needy, who's expecting you to complete them, to meet needs that only God can fulfill. Paul's a great example. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think part of finding that contentment goes back to what Melissa talked to us a, a, a couple weeks ago. She said, we have to deal with our past. We have to deal with those things that create the brokenness and the hurt and the longings in us. And so these, these first two, to me, they're huge. They're, they're like, man, if, if they're not committed to Christ and they don't have a good character, you need to break. You don't even think about dating that person anymore, okay? Don't, don't think you're going to change them. People don't change usually a whole lot for the better after they get married. They're showing you their best side before you get married, okay? But so many people think, oh, once we get married, everything's going to be different. He'll get a job. He'll stop yelling at me. She'll be nice. She'll forgive me. She won't be so needy. No, before you get married is when you have all the leverage, okay? And if you talk to a person about some issues in your relationship, some things you see, and they get mad and defensive and they're not willing to work on some stuff, that's a red flag. So don't think you're going to change somebody just because you marry them. That seldom happens. Okay, now the third thing I want to mention is chemistry. That's what our society and culture basically says is the number one thing. And that's where we get it wrong. Because if these first two aren't there, chemistry is not going to be enough. In fact, chemistry is not going to last very long. Chemistry is important, don't get me wrong. You need to have some chemistry in your relationship. But it needs to be more than just a physical or sexual chemistry, too. You need to actually like the person and enjoy being together when you're not just fooling around, okay? Proverbs says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And God's so honest. You know, those charming things, the looks, they're not going to last forever. But you need someone you enjoy being with, a friend, a relationship that's built on something more. That physical chemistry can come and go, but you need that, you enjoy being with that person. If you're just basing it on looks, eventually that's going to be a recipe for trouble. It's like the lonely frog. You you heard the story about the lonely frog, right? This poor lonely frog, he, he didn't know what to do, so he telephoned the psychic hotline. And he said, oh, I'm so lonely. Please give me some hope. What does my future hold? And his personal psychic advisor told him, you're going to meet a beautiful young girl who will want to know everything about you. Man, he was so excited. 
this is great. Will I meet her at a party? No, says the psychic. You're going to meet her in a bio- biology class. <laughs> Got to have that relationship built on more than just chemistry, okay? More than just biology. Proverbs says, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome husband. So you need, you need to have that chemistry where you at least enjoy being together. You enjoy doing some things together and you can laugh together. And that's very closely tied to compatibility, uh, compatibility in, in small ways and in big ways. First thing on compatibility is so important. See, this is another deal breaker. Maybe you can check off one, two, and three. You're dating this person. You're like, oh, this is looking pretty good. But then you start getting real about some of your goals. Do you share common goals in life? What do you want out of life? What are you focused on? What do you all, you may, you may be perfectly suited and you get to compatibility and it's just not a good fit. You know, from the very beginning when God created man and he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for him to be alone. He said this. I will make a helper suitable for him and for her. It's not just a one-way thing. But, but can you circle that phrase, a helper suitable? Man, somebody who's a good match. Somebody who can help you along your journey, help you to become the person God designed you to be and help you to achieve the goals he's put in your heart and the dreams he's given you. And God designed marriage to benefit both spouses. And so you may have some things that just don't match up. Some of them may seem trivial. Some of them may seem trivial, but some of them are big. Maybe you feel God calling you to go overseas and be a missionary. But you're dating someone, they don't even want to travel overseas. They throw up just thinking about getting on an airplane. You know, that's, that's probably not compatible, okay? That's probably, me, that's probably a deal breaker. Or maybe, maybe you're a meat and potatoes kind of girl, and he wants to go out and eat sushi, kimchi, curry, and Mexican every time he goes out. That's going to be, that sounds trivial, but after a while, that could be a problem. Or maybe he wants four kids and you want none. All right? See what I'm saying? That's not, not very compatible. And you think, well, we can work around that. Let me tell you. I have, a, I have some friends who married. One wanted kids and one didn't. It became a big source of friction. Maybe one of you loves the Warriors and the other is a Lakers fan. Or even worse, they love the Rockets. And you just can't get, I mean, it's going to be problems. I mean, when you go to buy the kids a little jerseys, which one are you going to get, Right? Now, couples don't need to do everything together, but I've had some friends who were couples, they didn't do anything together other than, you know, family life, and you need to have some things you enjoy doing together. It's okay to have a hobby, you know, that you like doing with the guys or something you like doing with your girlfriends, but you better have something you enjoy doing together besides, uh, as Pastor Paul calls it, the hubba hubba. You better have some other things you enjoy doing together. You know, my wife, Jennifer and I, for example, we we both love, you know, nature and beautiful scenery. We love to be, you know, seeing the outdoors and going to the beach or the mountains. We like going to the small towns, exploring around, eating different kinds of food, trying new things. We like sleeping in in the morning, being kind of lazy, slow starters when we have some time off, drinking some coffee and, 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 and reading or just hanging out. But you got to have some things that you have in common. And then it's okay to have some time, your own time. You know, when she wants to go browse all the shops and look at all the knickknacks, I get to go golfing. So it's like a match made in heaven, right? And then the fifth thing. So all these are, all these are deal breakers in my mind. But the fifth thing. You need to have conviction in your heart that God is leading you. Now, I'm not saying 
that this is the only one you can marry, but that God is leading you to marry this person. And you're going to need conviction to make a marriage work. When you go down, you, you, you just go through this process. You have your little checklist. And you can add some other things to the checklist. That's fine. You're, I would say your things are number six and below. These are, these are like biblical things God wants you to look for. Are they committed to Christ? Do they have a good character? Do you have chemistry? Are you compatible? And then do you have this conviction? Man, God wants me to marry this person. You know, maybe you're not sure. That's a great time where you, you go, again, you're seeking God's will, you pray, and you go talk to some, some godly people that know you, that know her or him, and you go talk to them and you say, what do you think? Am I ready to get married? Do you think we're good together? And, and if they have some concerns or red flags, you slow down, but if they say, yeah, I could see you guys making a great marriage, then, but you can look to other people. But see, God wants you to have a conviction that you're going to be committed to this person for better or for worse. Not as Bruno Mars singing that song. If we wake up and you want to break up, that's cool. It's not cool with God, okay? Here's what Jesus said. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take some conviction, because your marriage is going to be tested. Sometimes it's going to be tested daily. And I love the honesty of the Bible. Paul said this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. See, Paul said, man, I feel this call. I'm totally devoted to God. If you get married, you're going to be pulled in other directions. And not only that, if you get married, you're going to have some trouble. Can, can I get an amen from a married person? Anybody? You guys awake? Awake? Man, you're going to have some troubles. Marriage is great, but it's hard. And if you don't have the conviction that this is something God wanted you to do. You're not just committing to your husband or wife, but you're committing to God. You're saying, I'm committed. And it's going to take some conviction. And so if you go through this process and now you're thinking, okay, I think things are good. I think it's a go. Well, maybe you're wondering about when. So I just want to share a few, real quickly, some general timing guidelines. All right? How do you know, you know, how, do you, how long do you need to figure out whether to marry someone? These are general rules. This is me speaking. This is not the Bible. This is from my experience, just some common sense and wisdom of my 50-plus years and 30-some-plus years in ministry. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. The predating relation, you know, how long to know whether to marry? I'd say one to two years. You need a good one to two years. Now, it's, it depends on some things, right? If, this is so, if you're dating someone that you've known most of your life, you grew up together, you went to junior high or high school, or you've been in church together for a long time, and you know this person, you probably don't need as long. You might know in six months or a year. But just as a general rule, one to two years. If you meet somebody online, you might need somebody a little longer, especially if they don't live near you, because I think it's really important to see people in their environment, to see people with their friends and with their family. And so uh, you need longer to, to really know that per- if, does it make sense? The better you know the person, the less time you should need to figure it out. If you already know them, you should be able to figure this out pretty quick. And also, it depends on your age. If you're 20 years old, you need a little longer than somebody who's 30. If you're 20, you're still figuring out who you are, much less, you know, should I be marrying this person? If you're 25, you're still figuring it out. But if you're 35, you kind of got a little better understanding of who you are and what you're looking for. But as a general rule, I wouldn't recommend getting engaged before at least six months of dating. Some of you are going to need longer. 
The problem is some people are dating three, four, and five years, and they still don't know if they're getting married. Now, I would say that's a problem. Then are you dating on purpose? Are you dating intentionally? Because you should be able to figure it out after three or four or five years, okay? As soon as you know that there's any deal breakers, you step back, you break off that relationship, and you leave yourself open to meet someone else that might come into your life. Um, okay. If, as soon as you know you can't marry, there on your outline, as soon as you know you can't marry, break it off quickly. I mean, sometimes people wonder, well, what should I do? I, I just don't know if this is going to work out. You know, I, I can't believe this made it into the newspapers, but someone wrote, Dear Ann Landers, I just found out that my fiance has a wooden leg. What should I do? Should I break it off? Well, when should you break it off? As soon as you know, as soon as you know, rip it off. Take it off. I mean, act quickly, okay? Don't be, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I really like hanging out. I know I could never marry him, but I really like being, oh, if I break up, we're gonna, I'm gonna not going to have anybody to hang out with and go to dinner with. And you know what? You're just wasting your time and you're getting stuck if you're in a dating relationship that you know is not going anywhere. And I've talked to some friends. I'm, I'm, I've talked to some people. They've been dating. I've asked them, why are you still dating? You don't know, five, six, seven years? What, what's going on here? Now, sometimes they're dating and, you know, the chemistry's there and they're sleeping together. So maybe the lady wants, usually it's the lady, but sometimes the guy, they really want to get married, but the other one doesn't want to. And I would say, I have a friend in this situation right now, and I would say, look, what? he's already getting what he wants. You know, why did you put yourself in this situation? It's not healthy. And that's why God says, you know, he designed sex to be something that we share together within marriage. And sometimes if we get sexually involved before, we're not dating on purpose, we're not dating intentionally, we're not doing it God's way, we get kind of hung up. We get kind of confused. We get, we get some certain needs met and we feel like we're having this intimacy, but it's only part of it. It's not the soul intimacy. It's not the commitment there. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants to protect us. And so you got to be careful. You know, if it's not going anywhere, you need to break it off. And the third thing is, if you know you're getting married, you're headed to the altar. I would say generally, I, I, don't, I don't recommend long engagements. I'd say six to 12 months max. I mean, if you've already been through the process, you know you're getting married, why drag it out? Unless there's some things you need to deal with. Now, I originally typed altar instead of altar. A-L-T-E-R, which I thought was pretty funny because this is a big decision. It will alter you. You know, the P Pastor Paul said, if you're, if you're burning, you're, you're sexually burning your desire, he says, man, it's better to marry. Don't drag it out. Don't put yourself in a situation of temptation. You know, so often I see couples, they love the Lord, they love each other, and they say, you know, we're going to get married, we're engaged, we're going to get married in a year, or we don't know when we're getting married. We've got to save up enough money for the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 wedding, but we can't afford to live on our own, so we're going to go ahead and move in together. Now, I'm just telling you, that's a mistake. It's not God's plan, not God's design. And I would say, man, forget the expensive wedding. Just go ahead and get married if you know you're getting married. We'll do a beautiful ceremony for you here after a service in a park in your backyard, at a friend's backyard, whatever you want to do. And if you want to save up and have the big celebration later, I'd say save up and do it on your first year anniversary or your five-year anniversary, but do it God's way. 
Because so often it just doesn't go well when people go down that road. I wish I could had time to talk more about the consequences, but it's not God's plan. So I, I just want to say real clear, because sometimes I think people are confused. If you're planning to get married, it's not God's plan for you to go ahead and move in together and start sleeping together. Is that clear? I mean, you may disagree with me, but that's what we believe the Bible teaches. And so don't put yourself in this situation of temptation where you're engaged, you love this person, you, you, you've spent a year or two together getting to know each other, and you're ready to take the next step, and now you put it on hold. It's just not healthy for you. You're putting yourself in a place of temptation. And so as long as you, if you can't afford to live separate, get married, if that's your plan. I'm not saying get married because you need a place to live, but I'm, you know what I'm saying. If you plan on getting married, go ahead and get married, right? I'll be careful. All right, so hope that's helpful for you. One thing I would encourage you to do, there's a book I put on the bottom of your outline that you can read together. Very easy to follow. We've talked about so many of the things in this book, and there's a great list of questions at the end of each chapter that will help you talk together about your relationship, your past, your your expectations, your future will help you to decide if you're right for each other. Also, this fall, the dates haven't been determined yet, but we offer a a four-week premarital counseling class. Pastor Paul teaches that. And if you'd like to be a part of that class, you can write it on your communication card. Just write uh, premarital class, and we'll put you on a list and email you when it comes around. Maybe you've been dating a while and you can't figure out if you should get married or not. Not sure. Well, you can come to that class too. I think it'll help you to figure that out. So you can write that there. Um, So let's pray together. God, this world is is so messed up. And uh, it's... I know for so many of us, it's scary to even think about marriage because we've seen so many marriages fail. We've seen so many people struggle. We've seen so many people hurt. Some of us grew up in broken homes or we've been through a divorce ourselves. And and God, it's just heartbreaking. And yet, Lord, you designed us for this, this amazing relationship and you've given us guidelines. And God, we live in this culture that just lies to us all the time about the way to do it. And God, help us to look to you and your word. Help us to trust you. Help us to do it your way. God, help us to, as a church, to support each other, encourage each other to, to, to pray for and care for our single friends. And God, I pray that you would help us to uphold your values because they're to protect us. And God, I pray that you would, you would use this church to help people build healthy marriages, marriages that would be a witness to you and your love and your commitment and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray you'd use this church to help build marriages that would be attractive to the community around us. That people say, man, how did you have a marriage like that? That would draw people to you. God, for those who are here who, who are desperately lonely as a single and want to be married, God, I pray that you would help them to trust your guidelines and principles and, and bring God, as they grow and they develop their character and they serve you, God, I pray that you would bring people into their, someone into their life that they can marry. God, for those who are here who are in a marriage and they wish they weren't, God, I pray that you would bring hope and healing and forgiveness and restoration. And Lord, most of all, I want to thank you that as bad as we messed up our relationship with you, you didn't turn your back on us. And you sent Jesus and he came and he died for us that we could be forgiven and reunited in a relationship with you. And I pray that we'd reflect that in our marriages, God. 
Lord, just use us. Thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.